Hi everyone, I'm Diane. Capriana, again. Yes, and we're here with Dose of Unity and we're here with Michelle Kuhlman and she is here to talk about uh, a more serious subject. Uh, we have had a podcast in the past relating to um, mental health and addiction and this uh, goes a step further and talks a little bit more about um, some tragedy and we'd like to have Michelle um, share her story and uh, why don't you go ahead and just kind of give us kind of the overview of of your situation and what had happened and with your son and sure yeah um, so my son Cade Reddington um, we he passed away it was two years ago on November fourth of twenty twenty one and he died in his dorm room at UW Milwaukee after taking what he thought was a Percocet pill and. Um, it turned out that it was a fake and it was 100% fentanyl. And um, it was a complete shock to me when I got the phone call at six o'clock in the morning. And it turned out it was just a crazy set of circumstances. My brother was the one that ended up calling. He found out before I did. Um, and he said, have you talked to anybody yet today? And I said, no. And I thought something was wrong with my parents. And then he said, have you talked to Ross, who's my older son? And I said, no. And then my heart started racing. I'm like, what's wrong with him? And he said, Kate OD'd last night. And I said, what do you mean OD'd? Like, like dead OD'd? And he said, yeah, he's gone. And I just started screaming, no, that's not possible. Like he wouldn't, there's... He, there's nothing he was doing that would have killed him. Like, I knew that he was smoking some weed and doing some drinking. And, um, you know, that concerned me. But, like, not, I, there was nothing that I knew of that he was doing that would have resulted in death. And um, I just, it, it was unfathomable. I just said he knew better. There was just, there's no way that this could happen. So that just was the start of me just learning so much. Um, you know, it turns out um, that Kate had started dabbling in opioids, and I did not know this. Um, I had been on vacation with him a month, a month before he died. On October 4th, his brother was doing a semester in Washington, D.C., and I, we went out there to visit for a whole weekend. I had absolutely no sign of him doing any type of drugs. So this was just such a complete shock. Um, so he must have hit it well and was embarrassed, or maybe he just had really started down this path more once he got to UW-Milwaukee and it was more easily accessible and he wasn't in my house. Um, so what, what happened then was that week after he passed, we were trying to figure out what happened and trying to put together the pieces from his friends and found out that, you know, from his friends that he had sought out a Percocet. And um, so we were trying to wrap our heads around how you could die from just taking one Percocet. And that was when we started hearing about fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And this is before it, it takes a while to get the toxicology report. Yeah. So then, you know, we started hearing more about this. And then my brother found this website from the DEA and it was One Pill Can Kill. And they had just released, so Cade died on November 4th. On September 23rd, they issued a press release about One Pill Can Kill mm -hmm. and about how these pills, anything that is on the street right now mm -hmm. is fake. There's no real prescription pills on the street. 
because they've tightened down on the prescriptions. So there's not these extras that drug dealers are getting a hold of. Everything is pressed as fake. And they're pressing these pills to look like Xanax, Adderall even, uh, Percocets, Ecstasy. Um, so, you know, anything that is bought and is not prescribed has fentanyl in it. It's just a matter of how much fentanyl is in it. And is it enough to kill you or is it enough just to get you strongly addicted? Because yeah. it's only two uh, milligrams of fentanyl that can kill you, which is like a couple of grains of sand. Sand. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we found out about one pill can kill, and then we did get the toxicology report back. We, we, they, somehow we got it back a lot sooner than a lot of people do, and we found out that there, I expected there was going to be some oxycodone in it, mm-hmm. but to hear that it was 100% fentanyl? Crazy. So, um, and then what happened was, okay, so then we found out about one pill can kill, and then a week later was when the news story started hitting that there was 100,000 overdose deaths in the last year. Oh, my God. And 70% of those are because of fentanyl. Yeah. But nobody was talking about this. And then what happened was about a couple weeks after Kate passed, I finally got, the, got it together to post on Facebook what had happened. And somebody had shared that. And then this woman who lives in Pewaukee saw my post. And um, she reached out to me because her son, Logan, died in his dorm room at UW-Milwaukee nine months prior. So we, um, once I heard about that, I was like, this is such a huge problem. Why is nobody talking about this? And I was so mad. I'm like, how can there be 100,000 overdose deaths? How could there be another boy who died in his dorm room at UW-Milwaukee? And nobody knows about this so her and i teamed up and um i mean i was just i was so angry that this is happening and i think our country was so focused on covid and where is in the meantime you've got this other epidemic that is happening but because of the stigma around drug use um and the shame of you know that a lot of people have from losing a loved one to this there wasn't as much media attention on this So I went ballistic because I wanted every single person to know. I was like, if this can happen to my son, Mm who was raised in a loving family, I didn't do any drugs. Like, it was just that none of this was on my radar. I mean, I was afraid of heroin. Like, I talked to him about that. I was like, whatever you do, you can never try heroin. You'll get addicted. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin. Who knew that you're supposed to warn your kids about fake pills? Nobody knew this. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, I started requesting meetings with Tommy Thompson, who was then the president of the UW system. And um, Cade died November 4th. We got a meeting with him in January, just a couple months later. And the Rockwells, which is Logan's parents, and I had a Zoom call with him. And we told them our boys' stories and about how UW-Milwaukee did absolutely nothing to respond to Logan's death and how if they had done some education and done some overdose awareness training that um, Cade could possibly still be with us. And Tommy Thompson said, thank you for bringing this to my attention. This was not on our radar because, again, they were so focused Mm -hmm. on COVID protocols. And how many many students in our UW system have died from COVID? None. Mm -hmm. Um, So and just think of all the resources they put towards that. Yeah. 
So Tommy Thompson was, um, he was resigning from his interim position at the end of March. And on, I think like March 13th, he sent out a letter to all the chancellors and we had asked him to mandate getting Narcan, which is the opioid mm -hmm. reversal drug in the dorms. We asked him to mandate it in education and he sent out a letter and he didn't mandate it, but he strongly encouraged the chancellors to all follow through on this policy to put Narcan rescue kits in the residence halls and to start the educational campaigns. And I'm so proud that now um, every single UW campus except for UW Superior has Narcan rescue kits in the residence halls and they all have education happening now um, about um, opioids and fentanyl and, um, and signs of a drug overdose. Mm -hmm. So that was a that was a really big accomplishment to get that done. So my hope is, let me just tell a little bit more of the story about what happened with Cade that night was they it was um, college night at uh, Club Miramar on Oakland Avenue. And it's $20 for an all you can drink wristband and him and his friends all had fake IDs. So they were going out and they were pre gaming in his friend's dorm room and he said, I want to get a perk and I'm going to reach out to this guy that he knew. Um, so I know then that Cade, they were in the bar across from Club Miramar that night and this guy that he went to get the pill from showed up outside of the bar. Cade ran outside to meet him. Um, and then they all went into the Club Miramar when it opened at 10 o'clock. And then I know he got kicked out of the bar uh, at 10.36 because we went and talked to the bar owner and um, the bouncer caught him with the pill, consuming it in the bathroom and he was asked to leave. And um, so he rented a scooter, which I found out months later when I got into his emails and saw the receipt for that. So it was just so weird, oh, just gosh. like piecing He's together, like just visualizing what happened that night. So he took the scooter home, got back to his dorm, clocked in at 10.50, went and found a girl that he was friends with. And they have video of him, which I haven't seen. I've just heard about it in the elevator together where he tells her, he says, I took a perk and I feel yucky. And I guess in the video, she puts her head back like, why did you do that? But she didn't know about fake pills mm -hmm. and she didn't know you could die from it. So they went back to his dorm room and he was in a suite and um, he went and laid down in a beanbag chair. And then the other boys like made the girl leave. They're like, well, he's like, I think they thought he drank too much and passed out. Right. So Kate's what they think is sleeping in the beanbag chair. And these other boys, it was a Wednesday night, they're like doing their homework on their computers with him behind them in the beanbag chair. Yeah. Because he died surrounded by people that could have saved him if they were educated and they knew what the signs of an overdose were. And, and I don't even like to use the word overdose. He was poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. When you die of a drug overdose, you take too much of something, of a known substance. Mm -hmm. This was a poisoning. This is a drug-induced homicide. So um, so anyways, two of the boys went to bed. The other one was up, and when he was about to turn off the lights, he noticed that the way Cade was laying on the beanbag chair looked weird. So he looked closer and saw that his fingernails were turning blue and his lips were turning blue and his breathing was really shallow, but they still didn't know what was going on, and they took the time to Google search the symptoms. 
And then they were scared. And then they went and got the RA who was on the floor below. Mm-hmm. So I just think all this time is yeah. passing by. And so by the time 911 was called at 1245 that night, um, and the police officers are on the first floor of Sandberg Hall where he lived, and they have Narcan on them. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, right there. If, if the first girl would have known that you could die from one pill, this is, this is what... I think how this night could have gone down differently. Mm-hmm. If UW Milwaukee would have responded to Logan's death and said, "We need to train our incoming freshmen on mm-hmm. fake pills. We need to train them on um, overdose awareness and on how to administer Narcan." Right. And if the Narcan was in the dorms, this is what could have happened. Let's say, let's say Cade was still reckless and decided to take that pill. Um, but same scenario: takes the scooter home, finds this girl, and says, "I took a perk and feel yucky." And when she does this Cade, she says, Cade, oh my gosh, you can die from taking one pill. I'm going to go get the Narcan, and I'm going to sit with you and make sure you're okay. And at the first sign of him nodding out, she could have called 911 and had the Narcan and administered it, and he would still be here. So that is the story I tell when I'm talking to lawmakers about the importance of having Narcan access, even in, like in the high schools is what we're working on now, too. Um, in all schools, actually, we're trying to get this bill passed um, because the outcome could have been so different. And apparently in about 60% of overdose or fentanyl poisoning cases, there's a bystander present. So it's so there's it, we just we need to educate, educate we yeah. we need to make sure that kids know that there's good Samaritan laws and there's amnesty laws on campuses right. yeah, and that would you rather you, you do not have to be afraid about calling nine one one because you're not going to get in trouble they're not going right. to get in trouble and would you rather have them be alive yeah. right or would you rather wait and have them be dead exactly so, and you have to be so clear because that these are all the things that come up right and the other thing is. People who who are confused about like, well, I don't know what it what's the problem. Should I try uh, the Narcan or um, or not? And if I do, is it going to hurt them? And um, it's not. It's if if it's going to help, it's going to help. It's not going to hurt them. And I think exactly. that was something that I've yes. heard a lot of people say. Wow, I now I feel um, educated enough to know that if I'm <clears throat> seeing something like that, even if I'm wrong, maybe they're passed out drunk. It's not going to hurt them. And what I've been, I've done the Narcan training. They say you're supposed to rub the sternum and um, that should wake anybody up. And if that, if they do not awaken from that, that's when you use the Narcan. But Hmm. at the training that I've been to, they actually administer the Narcan on a person and there's, all it does is stop the opioids from uh, attaching to your opioid receptors in your brain. So if you did not take an opioid, it does absolutely nothing. So it is completely safe if somebody, if you give it to somebody, like you said, who did not take an opioid, it does absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nasal spray. It's so easy to use. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's sad that we've come to a point where that, you know, you have to, like in high schools, that just like, it hurts my heart. But like, it's something that's so necessary and can save so many lives. I mean, again, it just, it's unfortunate that we've come here, but we do need to address the problem and we need to address it now because... One life is too many. One yeah. life is too many from something that's so so purely preventive, preventable from, you know, the things that, like, we, we harp on is awareness. And, like, mm-hmm. Diane always says, you can't, you can't solve a problem you don't, you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. So um, I think about, you know, those kids and how, how 
how scared they must have been, but to have all of those, all of those tools, you're not going to get in trouble. This mm-hmm. is safe to use. It's where it is. It's right downstairs. How to use it? That it's even that it even exists. Right. You know, as an option, um, or that you know that he wasn't drunk. There were there were other signs. You know that that mm-hmm. could have indicated mm-hmm. alcohol intoxication versus you know versus potential. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's just such a powerful. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, you know, I just think about those poor kids too. Like they have to live with that. And I mean, now the trauma for them yeah. of it having this happen is so horrific. And then one of Kate's best friends who's at Milwaukee with him, she told me, she said, oh, I knew he had started doing that. And she said, I told myself if I knew he did it again, I was going to tell you. And she didn't get the chance to. So she's dealing with a lot of trauma around that also. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is so important too. Like this fentanyl is in everything and it's so addictive and um, people can't just stop on their own. Right. It's not like you can just say, you shouldn't be doing that. And they're like, oh, okay. No, yeah, their body that. Their yeah. body needs yeah, it. Exactly. It's like needing a drink of water yeah, for us or craving like sugar. Like I can go get a piece of chocolate anytime I want and like, yeah, I, it's. I mean, it's beyond that. Yeah. It's more like drinking water. Um, so, anyways, I just I want to encourage people too that if you are a teen and you know somebody who is using, that do not be afraid to tell an adult and to call their parents and tell them because your friend might be mad at you. But again, would you rather have them mad at you or would you rather have them be dead? Well, and that's that's a conversation I've had with my daughters too, and 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 you have to be very very specific about it. Yeah, and it's like if it's a life and death, potential life and death situation, there's there's it's non-negotiable, and Mm -hmm. you know, and explaining to your kids exactly what that all looks like. Okay, so if you were to tell me this, this is how we would handle it because they worry about all these things. I know that there are kids that. Um, you know, we'll get upset with another kid saying, oh, you know, you're not invited to any more parties or whatever because you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to go tell your parents. The nar- because narking is such a, such a, a um, taboo, taboo in their right. culture. And it's like, we got to change that. Yeah, because... you have to be strong enough to do the right thing to save your friend for the right reasons. And like you said, okay, so they're mad for a week or two. You know, and then also, you know, if there is such a thing where you know a friend's doing something, mm-hmm to let them know what you will do. Like if, if maybe it's in the past, if you do this again, I'm going to do this and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they know that you are serious. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that's another um, another part that I've heard of. But is, are there any other, you were talking about rubbing the sternum. Are, mm-hmm. So if you were trying to talk to somebody about how they can recognize the difference, and again, we're saying you, know, you can still administer their Narcan and they'd be safe mm-hmm. but if it's if it's alcohol or if it is an overdose and if are there any other well signs? i think with so with the fentanyl poisoning or overdose it's the, their lips and their fingertips can be turning blue and the sha- the breathing gets really really shallow and a light pulse um and then they're actually and i didn't know about this so i didn't ask the boys when i saw them when we went to go clear out kate's dorm room um, is that there is a like a snoring sound that yeah. people make if they're having an overdose. And I didn't know about that when mm-hmm. I saw these kids and I was never going to go back and ask them that. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, they were just, they weren't like high school friends of his. 
Um, so the snoring sound, I think, is a, is a big one. And that's what happened with Logan um, when he passed away. He was on a FaceTime call with his girlfriend. Oh. And she, he started snoring, and she thought he just fell asleep and hung up the phone and never mm-hmm. asked somebody to go check on him. So, um, yeah. So I'm assuming that happened with Kate also, and um, I just I don't know 100. percent Well, and you know that's the thing too is uh, if if the kids aren't themselves, like have the wherewithal to even figure out if they're all drinking, and you know, so that's something too for people who are listening. It is important to stay in control enough to be even aware of what's going on with the people around you and to be able to have the wherewithal to, to, to check them out and do all these mm-hmm. things. And like in your, your case, I mean, they were, um, they were right there, you know, so right like there. you said, it's all yeah. back to the education and yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is that mixing drinking with opioids is also so dangerous. And Cade was drinking that night, but it wasn't excessive. His blood alcohol level was a 0.12. So I asked the medical examiner, I said, was that a contributing factor? It is on his death certificate that there's ethanol also. But he said with how much fentanyl was in his system, that would have, that was enough to mm-hmm. kill him without the alcohol. Mm-hmm. But again, that, that can slow your breathing down even more. So um, that is absolutely a contributing factor to these deaths as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so tragic, you guys, the number of stories that I hear about these kids are so young that this is happening to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm on all these Facebook groups now and there's so many, you know, yeah. with, with a hundred thousand overdose deaths a year mm-hmm. for the last three years, I'm on these Facebook groups with tens of thousands of parents that have lost their kids to fentanyl poisonings. And I mean, there's kids as young as 13 years old that are dying. Um, there's a story of uh, um, Dr. Laura Berman. She was one of Oprah's um, consultant doctors. Mm-hmm. During COVID, she thought her kids were safe underneath her roof. Mm-hmm. And her 16-year-old went on Snapchat, found someone to deliver to their house like a pizza, um, I think her, it was Percocet, what he thought was Percocet also. He, after they went to bed, ran out to meet the dealer out in the front yard, came back in, and they found him dead in the morning. So, I mean, there's no boundaries on this. These deaths are happening to people from all walks, all of, walks life. of life. You can be the best parents in the world from a nuclear family, and it's it's affecting everybody mm-hmm. so well and i i like you know what you were saying about obviously the education is so important because the kids are going to do what they're going to do but if they at least are educated on on all of it um they can make some decisions right to uh be aware ahead of time or you know all these things you're mm-hmm. talking about because it, it is hard as you're a parent when you're like oh don't do this and don't you know so parenting if you're telling your kid that explain the why behind it explain the education yeah remember when i was um in school and i probably talked to you about this too when i was younger my mom was an an er nurse and so she explained very emphatically here's the problem she didn't judge she said here's the problem with drugs and she said you know the addiction 
in her case, it was more the addiction that she was um, educating me on. But, mm-hmm. um, but what I liked about the way my mom approached it was it was very non-judgmental. It was just very factual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and she just kind of told me it, you know, and I always remember that in the back of my head because, you know, when we're teenagers and in college or whatever, um, I know I did things that I'm glad I'm still around. You know, I mean, it's just uh, we go through that that period of our life that we want to, um, you know, take a step in the wild side a little yeah, bit. Risk and you taking think a risk. you're invincible. invincible. Like you absolutely, it doesn't even cross your mind that anything, I think it's uh, something, um, well, it's a disaster typically, but it's called like normalcy bias where you you put that the worst case scenario out of your head because everything else in your life has been fine. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's kind of like, why would why would this yes. do anything to me? Yes. And I, I've I've been there. I in college, and I told this story a while back when we were talking about personal darkness. Um, but I did that. I was at a bar. I was in. I was in. I was in my early twenties. I was at a bar, and I was. Um, my friends were getting a little rowdier than I wanted, and I was kind of bored. And uh, somebody at the bar picked up on that and said, "You don't look like you're having a lot of fun." Handed me a white pill, and I went in the bathroom and did it. No idea what it was. Right. And, it had, and had that been today, you could be dead I from that one pill. Very well, yeah. could have been dead, and I, I had no idea what it was. I was just bored. I didn't care. My friends were being annoying. I wanted to party too, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So I mean, it ended up being um, Molly or ecstasy or whatever MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, <laughs> and I say that now because it could very well have mm-hmm. been fentanyl had it been today, and had it had this yes. been such a prevalent problem back then as well. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, and I've talked to so many people, and I was never a drug user, but um, like friends that are like, oh my gosh, I did cocaine in the yep. in the eighties, mm-hmm. and. Now it's being laced in cocaine. There's people yeah. dying every day from it in cocaine. Yeah, well, and weed, you know, that's the other thing. Yes. And the weed, yes. You know, it's, that's it's, really, really scary. Right, I mean, and, and so many people, you know, they think, you know, weed is acceptable, and oh, yeah. it's legal in a lot of states, yeah. and so, that so it safe. must be okay. Yeah, even you if know. it's on the street, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. and, uh, it, and that's, you know. And I know tons. two parents yeah. in Madison who have lost their kids yeah. to fentanyl and marijuana. Yeah. And so what I've been telling the parents of kids that I, that know their kids are doing weed is like, if they're going to do it, make sure they're getting it from a dispensary. Mm-hmm. And so you know what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in Illinois who's just like, I know she's, this is at, at first, she's like, yeah, but my daughter says it's like three times more expensive. I'm like, pay for the difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, and just so hard, worth you know? a little bit of extra yes. money to keep your life. Like, to I, keep your life. Yes. <laughs> it's literally, right? it's literally to keep your life. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um. Thank you for, yeah. for doing this, but also for sharing that. Um, and I did just want to ask, too, just a little bit about um, if you could just share something about Cade that, you know, in his life that just made him such a light and such a such a bright spirit. Yeah. Well, he um, had an exuberant amount of energy from the very beginning. <laughs> Every single parent-teacher conference starting in pre-K moving forward was... Kate has a lot of energy and he really <laughs> likes to talk to his neighbors. <laughs> so he always had that energy, always had to keep being reeled in. I remember saying to the teachers, like, as they were talking about how social he was, I'm like, I, you know, I'm sure it's going to serve him really well as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. And he just liked to talk a lot and he was, um, he would talk to anybody. He uh, was so friendly, like with the clerks at the grocery store, at Target. He'd always like ask them how their day was going and just was such a social butterfly. 
Um, and it was so wonderful hearing from his friends afterwards. Like, there's so many things about your kids that you don't know when they're in high school because you don't see, you see one side of them. Mm -hmm. But the number of stories I heard about how Cade was there for his friends and how they felt like they could talk to him about anything and he always listened and he truly wanted to help people. And actually, he came home the weekend before he died. Um, It was Halloween weekend here in Madison and he came home to work at my store and um, he had told me he was meeting with his advisor and he was switching his major to go into psychology so he can go to drug and alcohol counseling. So uh, I just, it's so heartbreaking that he doesn't get to do that. I just, uh, um, yeah. And so, but anyways, he loved also like with this energy, one of the things that he did was he taught himself when he was about 13 how to do backflips. Oh. <laughs> And he never stopped. Like, it was so (laughs) cool. This kid would backflip off of anything. So he had just, like, this crazy risk-taking personality, like, flips in the pools and off of cliffs and off of picnic tables and standing (laughs) backflips. And it was just so fun to see him do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he loved skateboarding. He loved snowboarding. He was a wrestler in high school. He just was this really scrappy personality. But then he also dealt with some depression. And I think, like, talking to his friends, I'm like, why do you think he was using drugs? And they said probably to he was self-medicating yeah. his depression. And it was never, like, like, I never thought it was that bad. Like, we had him going to counseling, and it was just never, like, suicidal. Sure. And I just kept saying, you've got to just come up with strategies on how to deal with this. you got to get enough exercise. You have to get mm-hmm. enough sleep. You've got to eat right. Um, so, but, yeah, he chose, apparently, to self-medicate. Just so so common, yeah. yeah. It's hard to admit, you know, especially for somebody who's just typically so upbeat, you know, yes. to kind of face maybe having those issues and mm-hmm. and, and sharing that with people. Mm-hmm. Um, even like you said, his friends felt comfortable talking to him about everything, right. and he wanted to be. So he felt like I'm the therapist friend. Mm-hmm. I can't have these problems, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I can understand that, and certainly, certainly, it is common, like Diane said, and just yeah. know, looking back and as a parent and seeing the signs and kind of again putting all the pieces together it's like you have such a unique perspective to share and obviously you share that with a lot of other parents yeah you know just something to continue pushing and uh, normalizing for people um, since it's happening it's not this secret underground society thing anymore it's it's literally your next door neighbor you know right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and you know what I actually want to go back to a thought that we were talking about earlier about normalizing and thinking that you're invincible is um the importance of early prevention and, and early intervention on this and making sure that kids understand the dangers of fentanyl when they're like fifth, sixth grade mm-hmm. before they start using. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after Kate passed, I went and spoke to the kids at Horizon High School, which is a recovery high school. Oh. And um, so I showed them this really great video that's called Dead on Arrival, and it's on YouTube if anyone wants to watch that. It's about the fentanyl crisis. And, and then I asked him, I said, what do you guys think about this? Is this a good video to prevent, you know, kids from start using? And they said, well, yeah, but you have to show it to them before they start using. They said, once you start using, right. because it hasn't happened to you yet, you think it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, because I used and I haven't died yet, so why would I die? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. so that So that early yeah. prevention... Yeah. Um, I was at an event last night and I ran into Tom Farley, Chris Farley's oh, brother, yeah. and he does a lot of work around um, prevention education also and telling Chris's story. 
And he said, it's like the seatbelts. He's like, my kids just were taught from an early age that you always wear your seatbelt. We, you, you probably were taught that. We weren't. When we were in high school, like, um, people weren't wearing seatbelts. And that came afterwards. So that was like a learning process. But like with our kids right now, it's just so ingrained. You just like don't get in the car without a seatbelt. And I think that's what we need to do about drug use is like at a young age, it's like you just don't do street drugs because it's so deadly. Like why would you ever want to do that? Just like not wearing your seatbelt could be very deadly. Well, and repetition, you know, at the age appropriate, Mm -hmm. um, you know, way of delivery, you know. So it's fifth and sixth grade and then, you know, maybe changing it to bring it more into um, something that means something to them as they get older or because uh, that's one thing that I've seen too like you said if, if it's so far removed mm-hmm. that they're like well I'll never do that you know right but, but if they understand as they go through what it looks like to you know what you might find yourself in a situation yeah. and how to handle mm-hmm. it and yeah. um, like if you're if you're at a party drinking and how you are um, not yourself. You're not thinking clearly, and how easy it, it could be to go ahead and and uh, um, be more open to right. um, taking that pill and you know having that plan in advance. All those things, but if it's that repetitive, yes, um, every year, you know, and you know, and also part of some of the tragedies that are happening right now are people that are not even trying to use it as a party drug. Right. These are people. There was two girls that died at Ohio State that were studying for final exams. Oh. Yeah. One was pre-med. She, t- they both took what they thought was Adderall. Adderall. Somebody could have just given that to them and said, here, take my Adderall. It's and so, you do not yes, know, unless it is know. prescribed to you, you do not know. Mm-hmm. There's another woman I met at a rally in Washington, D.C. Her daughter was a college student. Didn't like things. She was taking some anti-anxiety medication. Didn't like what she was on. Went to a party that night and somebody said, here, I've got the Xanax. Why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. And she died. She wasn't looking to get high. She was looking to reduce her anxiety. That's exactly it. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of stories where, oh no, this is my mom's, you know, Adderall yes. or, or that's so you know, cool. Xanax or whatever it is. And and so they, oh okay, they trust the person. Right. Yes. And that's the thing too. I think is is you, you want to think you can trust the people, but you just you can't. Those days are gone because you have absolutely no idea where it came from. And yeah. even if it isn't, you know malicious intent or even if it isn't you know a laced sort of thing it's just dangerous to take other people's drugs anyway because the dosage could be different mm-hmm. they could have a different yeah. tolerance for certain things their mm-hmm. doctor knows that their doctor right. doesn't know you yeah. so i mean it's just it's just dangerous in general to, to yeah you don't take a pill that you don't know from anybody for any reason sensitivities or yeah. you know or yeah. combining with an oh, yeah you know, one interaction i mean yeah. yeah and i've had parents of younger kids asking me well what do you think i can do to help for, you know, prevent this with my kids. And I said, you know, kind of back to the seatbelt thing, is I said, I would start training them at a really young age to never take anything from anybody, not even a Tylenol or an Advil. Mm-hmm. If they have a headache at a sleepover, train them to call you yeah. and that you will come and bring it to them and that they should never take anything unless it's from you mm-hmm. or if it's prescribed to them. Yeah. And so. that's just kind of like getting that ingrained, oh, I don't take anything that's not prescribed to me. Mm-hmm. So um, exactly. so I think that that could be a, a really good early intervention too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. As a parent of two boys who are you know, growing up in this kind of society that we've established here, it's, it's good to learn things like that and, and know that they're – there is a plan and obviously um you know god willing my kids make it to college and that age and stuff to to have the wherewithal to understand that it's just not worth it 
Yeah. It's just not worth it. It's you know, not worth you it. Can be the, you can be the square in the room, right? You have your friends razzing you about not doing it, but like even alcohol. Because I mean, I, this, the amount of kids like alcohol intoxication or drunk driving who kill people mm-hmm. and then they ruin their entire life for whatever dumb decision they make. Mm-hmm. It's just none of it is worth it. Yeah. It's yeah. not worth it. Yeah, the idea of um, not being in control, you know, yeah. um, for me personally, yeah. has always um, scared me. You know, it's uh, uh, especially if you know that people around you, you can't necessarily know that they're right. going to make the best decisions. And uh, uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of looking to see how we're doing. And um, so the top a couple of questions and then the, yeah, you've definitely covered so many good things here. And uh, did you want to? kind of close with that part of it and how are we doing on time we have pretty good time yeah um yeah i mean you really you've got this down to a science like you're, <laughs> you know what you're doing your yeah. story is very powerful and very moving and um yeah so i guess just um what are some like the if you could summarize kind of this and um what are two to three of the most important things you want our watchers or listeners to take home with them today well i think a huge problem in our society still is the stigma Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many things that happen that perpetuate it. And even at Cade's service, I got up and spoke and I just said, forget stigma and forget shame. This, we're in a public health crisis here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times if somebody dies from a a drug debt, nobody know like nobody wants to talk about it. And I was like, I am, I'm bashing that. Like I have no stigma and no shame in this. Like I did everything I could to raise my son right. And they have free will to make choices and he made a bad decision, but he shouldn't have died from it. So no, regardless of what it is, we have to stop treating addiction like a moral failing Mm -hmm. and that it is a disease that happens. And you know, uh, it, it, your brain is not functioning right once you get that addiction and there's so much judgment out there about people with drug use and preconceived notions that the people that are going to die from drug use are the junkie on the street but you know what that junkie on the street is still somebody's kid and um and they don't want to be there they got there by a matter of circumstances so I just, I want to eliminate judgment and look at um, people that are drug users more with compassion. Like, mm-hmm. how, how did they get here? Yeah. Like, they're not, cho- nobody's choosing to be a drug addict. They got there for some reason. They had a hurt or something, or mm-hmm. maybe they had an adventurous spirit and they just tried something and now they're hooked. So, mm-hmm. so that's really important. Also, like, never say not my child. Like, oh, no kidding. I mean, I was... I never in a million years would have thought my kid would die from a drug death. Yeah. Never. And I know way better than that now that that can happen to anybody. And so um, and so if you're listening, you're like, this isn't going to be my kid. I don't need to talk to them about this. They could be the kid, the sweet mates or the girl in the elevator. Yeah. And they need to know about this so that they know how to save a life. Mm-hmm. Um, because so that they're not dealing with a lifelong trauma of um, not knowing enough to, to save their friend. Um, so those, I would say, are two really important things. Awesome. That's, yeah. that's excellent. And, you know, just, yeah, it could happen to anybody. And uh, now I'm just going to say right here, I've, I just had you know, three, um, I, I call them Irish triplets, I'll graduate from college in the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. all of what you're saying is happening everywhere. Yeah. Um, kids like you said the pre-med kids the the kids are all you know it's not it's not like you said it's not just like the junkie on the street and to your point um 
and this always makes me um, emotional, but every single person, like you said, they have their story. They have, um, if you listen to their story and understand how they got to that point, mm -hmm. you could see how, and you could put yourself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. You can, you can understand, you know, a lot of them have gone through trauma. Some of our, you know, work in the um, human and sex trafficking realm. Um, so many of the people who've gone through trauma end up, mm -hmm. um, uh, being addicted and mm -hmm. that's how they cope and any anybody who would mm -hmm. put themselves in their shoes would quickly realize that this could happen to anybody so yeah, yeah. Um, can well. I share a quick story and then yeah. Yeah. um so you know I knew by sharing Kate's story that we were saving lives like I, I, I figured people would be making some different choices but I actually had a young man tell me directly that Kate saved his life mm -hmm. and I was like what do you mean? Like you, did you hang out with him? And he said, no. And he's like 25 years old and Cade was 18 when he passed. And he said, no, he said, um, and this is again from a family that you would never expect that this would be happening in, um, under the old preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. Um, he said, I was addicted to Percocets and, but it wasn't, you know, it was the street, it was fentanyl. Sure. So he's addicted to fentanyl. And he said, um, the day that Kate died, my mom came into my room and said, are you still using? And she told him what happened. And he asked her to go to the hospital. And he got on medically assisted treatment that day and has not used since. So it was so beautiful to have somebody tell me that directly that Kate saved his life. Because I had been talking about how I just really, I know I'll see him again someday. And I have this vision that when I get reunited with him, he's going to be so excited to see me. He's going to be like, mom, he's like, oh my gosh, good job. And he's going to say, I am going to show you all the lives that you saved by telling my story. And I so believe he is going to be able to sit me down and we're going to look at this reel and we're going to see the impact of what those people did with their lives because they made a different choice. And um, we'll have all of eternity to keep going over and be like, and then they did this and then this happened and... Oh I just, I, I fully believe that that's going to happen. He can show you yeah. all the new uh, backflip. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, working on this. The things that he's learned. The triple windy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Full skate park. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Oh. Thank you. You know, his death is not in vain. And, uh, yeah, and, and to your point, you know, he's going to share all the people that he's saved and you've saved and, uh, you know, and that's the thing on earth we don't know. But, you know, someday, like you said, in heaven when it will all be revealed. And it's just like that, um, I call it the spider web effect, right? And, uh, you know, and I, I know I've talked to lots of people. Um, I've got some people who um, who their, their kids um, have that same spirit. And, and we know, like, we've talked about this too. It's just like, you just want to make sure they're super, super careful. And some, uh, you know, so you're, you're making such a difference and you have no idea how many people have listened to your story already. And, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, um, so thank, thank God for, for you and, uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And I take every opportunity I can to tell Kate's story because it still makes me feel connected to him. <sighs> Yes. Which we'll do a whole other podcast on. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're going to do another part two podcast that will be Matters of the Faith. And that one is one that we don't want to cut that short. So we're going to schedule that for um, another time. And I'm super excited about that one. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, oh, thank God. you.
Okay. Bye, everybody. We will see you on the next one. Thank you.